am a closet football fan, which may come as a surprise even to people that know me. Naturally, I support the greatest club in history, Arsenal FC. For those of you that don't know, we are the only modern football club in the world's top leagues to go a whole season undefeated. I haven't seen Liverpool do that, hashtag just saying. Granted, it has been 17 years since we did that, and we haven't even come close to those dizzy heights again. But in 2020, in a year of unprecedented global challenges, I looked to Arsenal as a ray of hope in the midst of the COVID-19 storm. We had an exciting new manager and I thought this is the start of something special. I also really love Christmas. Some of you may have seen the Christmas t-shirt I made with a glue gun last year, which demonstrates I don't mess about when it comes to Christmas. We were all locked up, weren't we, in November, trying to stay safe, trying to be responsible. I feel like the whole nation's ray of hope was Christmas. We had a five day Christmas bubble promised and I was pumped for some quality time with family. Fast forward to December. Arsenal are languishing in 15th place out of 20 in the league. Our worst start in 50 years and we lost to Burnley. The shame. And of course, Boris broke his promise, didn't he? Five days whittled down to just 24 hours. And it did not help at all that my parents' place is four and a half hours drive away. So much for the things that I put my hope in, eh? Well, that got me thinking, what else do we put our hope in that isn't 100% reliable? A government, a sports team, a job, a person, a vaccine candidate, the democratic process even. Today, I want to talk about a source of hope that is 100% reliable. Spoiler alert, his name is not Boris. No, of course, I'm talking about Jesus. The message today is not that we shouldn't put our hope in anything other than Jesus. Of course, there are things that we can and we should put our hope in to some extent. Rather, the message today is that Jesus invites us to cling on to him as our central source of hope, as the anchor of hope for our souls. Now, as we unpack and try to explore what that means exactly, we're going to carry on looking at the book of Hebrews. Today, we're looking at chapter 5, verse 11, through to the end of chapter 6. It's quite um, a chunky passage, so we're going to look at it in three chunks and look and unpack what it means as we go along. So let's read with me now the first chunk. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. 
Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. What's all this talk of milk, solid food, cleansing rites? Well, the topic here is spiritual maturity and the milk refers to the basic foundations of faith. The audience here would have been mostly recent converts to Christianity from Judaism. Christianity and Judaism share a lot of the same basic foundations of faith. And so the evangelists of the time often use these foundations as a common ground, a jumping off point to lead people towards the message of Jesus. So repentance, cleansing rites, laying on of hands. The audience would have been intimately familiar with these concepts and traditions. But the author is challenging them to move on from these basic foundations, to grow in spiritual maturity, to exercise their faith, discern good from evil, and dig deeper into relationship with Jesus. The author is saying that there is more than these basic foundations. That by being idle, they were just staying on the milk when they could have been reaching out to the solid food of spiritual maturity in Jesus. It was like they were continuing to focus on what they were really familiar with in their upbringing as Jewish people and not reaching out to more in Jesus. It was like they had learned how to boil pasta, but never learned how to make a tasty sauce to go with it. Well, how does this relate to us? The author uses the words through constant use. If we don't exercise our faith, we don't grow in spiritual maturity. But if we strive to look to Jesus, to learn more about Jesus, to dig deeper into relationship with Jesus, there is solid food available that will give us more nourishment than we can ever imagine. Solid food is relationship with Jesus. And any relationship can't be successful if you're just completely passive, if you don't put effort in to nurture it. And relationship with Jesus is similar. We have to put effort in to nurture it and exercise our faith through constant use. Well, that brings us on to our second passage, which is quite challenging. Let's look at it now. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. 
Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realised. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. In this chunk of the passage is a little bit more than we can cover in one Sunday, but let's take a quick look. The topic is usually summarised with the word apostasy, which means to abandon previous beliefs in Christ or to fall away from faith. The text says that it is impossible for those that have fallen away to come back to repentance. Well, that seems a bit extreme, doesn't it? It makes it sound like if you've fallen away from faith, that's it. That's the end forever. Well, fortunately, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. The author is warning about the dangers of falling away so far and for so long that you've reached the point of no return. The thing is, you can't know where the point of no return is in advance. Only God knows our hearts. A Christian can fall away from faith for 30 years and still come back to salvation, as long as a small piece of the heart was still just about open enough for Jesus to come in. And so this isn't a warning that falling away is the end forever. It's, just, it's a warning about the dangers of falling away. And the text reminds us that God is not unjust, that if we are faithful and patient, we will receive what has been promised. God does not lie. His promises are steadfast. Through fighting against falling away, by keeping our hearts open to Jesus, we can know that our hope of eternal salvation is certain. Even if we're like a ship at sea, drifting away from safety, we can know that Jesus is always available for us to hold on to if we keep our hearts open to Jesus. Well, that brings us on to the third and final chunk of our passage today. Let's look at it now. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We live in 
a broken world filled with challenges. We are like ships at sea tossed about from wave to wave and we keep reaching out to hold on to things to try and secure ourselves with varying degrees of success. But if we take a step back in the middle of the storm and reach out to hold on to Jesus, we have an anchor that can never fail us. God's promises are true. His word is final. His oaths are unbreakable. His hope is eternal. Isn't it incredible that we have this anchor of hope for our souls that is 100% reliable? Exercise faith, open our hearts and hold on to Jesus. I think back to when I was a wee lad applying for medical school. One summer, I just finished my final A-level exams. But I thought I had flunked these exams so badly that there was no hope of getting into medical school. I was absolutely distraught. My life's dreams shattered before my eyes. I couldn't bear the wait for exam results. That summer, I prayed and reflected in the lead up to those results. I took a step back in the middle of that storm and God helped me to realise that there was something more, that there was more of Jesus available to me. I moved on from the milk of going to church every Sunday and saying the Lord's Prayer like I'd done since I was a kid to the solid food of giving Jesus command of my life of putting my trust in him and going where he wanted me to go. I was filled with an overwhelming sense of peace. All of my anxieties lifted away completely. I knew that summer that that was the moment I was going to get baptised. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. What is the milk in your spiritual journey? What is the solid food? There is so much more available to us if we'd only reach out to grab it. But it's important to remember that the goal isn't spiritual maturity itself. We're not trying to impress God and earn his favour through our righteousness. Rather, spiritual maturity is just one of the fruits that arises when we try to learn more about Jesus, when we look to him and dig deeper into relationship with him. Exercise faith, open our hearts, hold on to Jesus. Well, what does it look like to hold on to Jesus? Well, I feel like it might vary a little bit for each of us, but at its core, holding on to Jesus means wanting to learn more about Jesus. It means loving him and putting our trust in him. It means spending time in prayer. It means exploring the Bible. It means trying to find ways to journey further in faith, like going to church or joining a small group or getting involved with prayer or just finding someone to talk to about faith and journeying a little bit together. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. 
If you're new to faith and you're just starting to, to discover who God is, hold on to Jesus. If you've been a Christian for your whole life, hold on to Jesus. If you feel like you're a little bit stuck in neutral gear and your faith isn't going anywhere, hold on to Jesus. If you feel like life is pulling you in a million different directions at a thousand miles an hour, hold on to Jesus. If you are facing challenges that seem insurmountable and never-ending, hold on to Jesus. Take a step back in the middle of the storm and realise that there is yet more of Jesus available to you. If you hold on to Jesus, you have an anchor that can help you weather any storm. If you hold on to Jesus, you hold on to eternal hope. The question I'm going to leave you to consider today is, what does it look like for you to hold on to hope this week or this month? What does it look like for you to hold on to Jesus? At work, at uni, in your personal life, in your faith life, at home, wherever it is, whatever the situation, what does it look like for you to hold on to Jesus? We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Amen.